Well, or that was the foxhole uh, one. That was the foxhole yeah. one. Good afternoon. Let me turn the echo off here. Good afternoon or evening to everybody out there, especially if you're listening out there on the International Shortwave on 7490. That would be WBCQ. This is a world-famous shortwave station. It's got a lot of uh, famous things, and uh, we had the owner uh, on our show here a while back, and uh, we had a uh, just a great discussion about it and how he started off in the pirate days. We'll talk more about that uh, on another show. But hey, if you're listening out there on shortwave, uh, send us an email to tom at w5kub, tom at w5kub.com. We'd like to hear from you, where you are in the world, and uh, how you're hearing the, the station, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. This show is Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's about ham radio. Our amateur radio, ham radio, it's also called, and uh, we have a lot of interesting topics uh, each week. Uh, this show is actually broadcast live video on Tuesdays uh, at um, 8 o'clock Central Time on YouTube.com slash W5KUB, and um, we'd like you to join us if you can. That is, if you have uh, internet out there and wherever you are. Now, if you're out there international, it's going to be the time for the live show is going to be 0100 UTC on Wednesday. So that's pretty early in the morning, although we do have some people in the UK usually in here every night that are watching the show uh, and staying up uh, pretty late to watch the show. Um, Katie is in the chat room, but she's playing hooky tonight. Uh, she's uh, next door across the street. Next door. She's next door. Katie is next door. So I don't know. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to check into that a little later. Uh, but guess what? We have. We have. Dwayne with us tonight here in the studio. So Katie didn't show up, but Dwayne showed up here. Hey Dwayne, how you doing, man? Hey Tom, doing well, thank you. All right, look at it. Matchy shirts. You like this, guys? Yeah. Well, I was gonna wear a green shirt, but got talked he, out he, of that. He got talked out of the green shirt. I mean, you know, hey, we can do green. We can we can we can we can do green here, but we didn't we didn't want to do green tonight. Okay. Well, hey, glad to have you in the studio tonight, and he's here to learn how all this stuff works. And uh, let me give you a, a side shot here. So he's learning how all the stuff works. So I want you to duplicate this when you get back home, and that way, when I'm unavailable, you can do the show uh, from out in Sundance. Okay. You got that? Yeah. Hold uh, your breath. Okay. okay. All right. You got that? All right. Well, let's see. Uh, he's here uh, passing through on business and decided just to stop by and be on the show tonight. And we appreciate it. And we're glad you're here. Let's, uh, let's jump out to Alan up in uh, New Jersey. And let's see how Alan's doing. Come in here, Alan. How you doing tonight? Hello. Good evening. Good afternoon. Uh, I could even say good morning to, it looks like, Terrence 2 Echo 0. 
India Papa Kilo. It's, it's two o'clock in the morning where he is, but uh, uh, anyway, not uh, not quite that late here. But anyway, good to, good to see you guys. Hope you guys have fun in the studio there together. And uh, a pretty good day here. Been busy week at work and a busy ham radio week this weekend. Uh, and I gave a talk to an antique radio club on Friday night, and then. Uh, was up very early before the sun on Saturday to head out to local clubs ham fest. So, uh, but uh, anyway, and we have a little bit of a tech tips tonight. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, coax switches or RF switches tonight and isolation and how you can use them and all that kind of stuff. So it should be a fun night. All right. Well, great. And I, I, I I'm very interested in that. And um, we'll just uh, we'll see well the segment goes. What you got to say there? Well, I'm sure we'll all learn something. Now, Glenn is not here with us tonight. I don't know what happened to Glenn. He's got a two o'clock or something, or did you? I don't know. He asked for PTO, and you were great. Yeah, I think you said he's got to get up at two a.m. for something or other. So he's probably sleeping. Well, I mean, he he could be up right now. It's not two a.m. He could after the show, he could get a couple hours sleep, you know. But that's okay. We'll excuse him tonight. Uh, so Glenn will be back with us uh, next week, and uh, let's let's uh, pull Bill Brown in. Bill, uh, are, are you there down in the Huntsville area? Come on in here, Bill. Yes, um, just in between rain showers, so it's been pretty soggy here. Uh, now, why, why, I wonder why. Uh, I, I wonder why when Bill t- why why when Bill talks, it doesn't switch to his picture. I wonder what's going on here. Bill, maybe you're not modulating enough. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Well, I don't know. Can you hear me? Now, see, it switched that time. I, I tell you what. It, okay. I tell you. Yeah, I think switch. I know what it is. You probably have some yeah. low latency uh, internet there. I'm guessing. You mean high latency? Oh, that could be. Or high latency. Yeah. Because you, you did finally switch. It took that long for you to switch to your picture there. Oh, okay. I'll have to switch over to the MiFi uh, unit. Uh, I'm going to get Starlink uh, in the near future. I hear it, it works really well. Yeah, is that the new satellite, the low-orbiting satellite stuff? Yes, yes. Yeah. Today, uh, we had an interesting time with the youth on the air. Uh, they have a camp in the, at the Voice of America Museum which is in near just north of Cincinnati near the Dayton area between Dayton and Cincinnati and uh, there's a bunch of uh, youngsters uh, learning about different aspects of ham radio and uh, they launched uh, four balloons today and one of them landed uh, just east of of uh, Neil Armstrong's hometown so they're out there in the field right now uh, looking for it and in fact a rainbow appeared right over their payload so hopefully they've got oh, a pot cool. of gold waiting for them next to their camera payload well that's uh that's uh cool maybe uh and i was able to hear they have a voice beacon on uh, uhf uh-huh. sending um a morse code and a uh, voice message uh they took a biphone uh, how do you pronounce that alan a, the B-A-O-F-E-N-G. Bifong, Baofeng, radio. Baofeng. Anyways, they have a Baofeng UHF radio with a voice chip controlling it. So they set it up for 200 milliwatt setting for the low power setting. And I was able to hear it here in Huntsville, Alabama from 430 miles away. So that's a pretty good distance for that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. 
All right. Hey, uh, let's just jump right into the show here. I got a couple announcements real quick to make, and uh, and then we'll get rolling here. All right. So, hey, I heard from our friend astronaut Doug Wheelock today. Unfortunately, he's going to be unable to make it to uh, Huntsville with us. Uh, he was hoping to be able to go to Huntsville, uh, especially since he hadn't been with us the last two years at Dayton. Uh, he has attended Dayton with us the last eight years, and he just wanted me to give a message to all you ham radio operators out there that he uh, really enjoyed uh, associating and talking with uh, all the ham radio operators. He said they've been very good to him, and uh, he really likes the group and uh, is sorry uh, he can't make it. Uh, he said uh, he, you know, anytime uh, he could try to come back on our, our weekly show, we'll probably have, have him on here again soon. Uh, but he is working right now. He's training new astronauts how to walk on the moon. You know, they're going to be going back up there real soon. And uh, Doug is involved in that uh, part of the, uh, the NASA training. So uh, anyway, so Doug will be making it here with us. Um, uh, let's see, let's just jump right on into uh, with uh, Alan here and let's talk about RF switches, RF switching. So you want to take it away, uh, Alan? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I, there was a question, I guess, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the program. Uh, someone asked about using an RF switch in reverse instead of uh, switching uh, multiple antennas into a given radio about switching a couple of radios into a given antenna and uh, you know the question came up you know do you have enough isolation do you have enough uh, you know is it going to be safe is any danger in damaging the radios that are connected and that type of a thing i thought that'd be an interesting topic but i think maybe what we'll do is first just chat a little bit about switches in general uh and then we'll, t we'll kind of take a deeper look at that uh Tom, if you can give me permission to share, so I'm going to need to share a couple of things here, uh, and then uh, we can talk about switches. Um, you know, I'm going to focus primarily on like the little manually operated switches that you have, uh, you might have in your shack. Uh, this is an example. Uh, let me share uh, this. Uh, let's see. So you guys should be able to see a. Yes, this is this is just a page from DX Engineering, and just uh, doing a search on on switches, and you can see this. These are the kind of switches we're talking about. I use a couple. I use one of these Alpha Deltas here in my shack here, uh, but uh, you got some from Daiwa and things like that. Um, and you, know, you you'd see that you've got some that are you know, uh, this is actually just a two position switch. You know, we got one common feed that's switched from one. Uh, you know, port to the other. That's what all of these guys are with with uh, the three the, the three connectors on it. And this one here is a three position, so you can switch from one place to one of three different destinations. And then there's a couple of others that have got more, uh, and some that have a lot more, uh, you know, positions to switch to. Um, in addition to these switches, where you, where you typically you know you're going to locate them where you can operate them, there are uh, remote switches that you can maybe locate at the top of a tower or something like that, and then control them all uh, from the shack, so that you can run one one hunk of coax out you know up the tower, and then if you've got multiple antennas on the tower, switch those remotely, um, you know from inside the shack. And there's a number of people that make those things as well. But I'm going to focus a bit more on the switches, uh, these manually operated switches, because these are the ones that if you're going to use something in reverse, it would probably be one of these. So um, 
know, the question is, you know, is it safe to do so? So, uh, so I thought we'd uh, take a look at the numbers and, uh, and then maybe even show you how uh, you can measure them yourself. Let me stop sharing this here for the moment. And let me share another thing. Let me find my, pull this guy up here and bring up my share again. And uh, let's share this guy. Okay, so the question is, uh, you know, can you use a coax switch in reverse? And uh, let's look at the, the feed there. This looks like I was, was looking at the, the feed there, Tom. It looked yeah. like the video was overlapping. I can get it rid is. of that. That's perfect. Okay. So can you use a coax switch in reverse you know, to switch an antenna to multiple rigs? And the quick answer to that is, yeah, you sure can in most cases. But let's investigate this just a little bit further. Uh, just to, to prove it to yourself and to kind of go through and justify why you can or cannot do that. So we're talking about this kind of a scenario where um, I'm going to have one antenna and a switch to switch between, say, you know, maybe I, like I've got this. This is exactly what I have here. I've got my, my TS-870 is the main rig that I use. I also have my rig for nostalgia. Rig number two is um, a TS-830. And actually, I've got a, a, a four-position switch. And what the next position is actually switched into my FRG7 uh, shortwave receiver. And then the fourth position is just coming out to a piece of coax laying on the bench so that I can bring another rig up and, and connect it into the antenna when I want. So, uh, and all that works well, okay? Now, uh, in general, you wanna ensure that the switch that you're using is of the type that switches all of the unused ports, the ones that you're not switched to it switches those to ground, and that's going to be one of the things that helps to provide a lot of isolation from the rig you're using to the rigs that are not being used, is to make sure that the unused ports get switched to ground. So let's take a look at the numbers and uh, see what it, uh, what it takes to make this work and work safely. So what's the maximum safe operating power that can go into a receiver without damaging it? I actually had a little bit of a conversation with Rob Sherwood, and uh, there's another guest we ought to have on the show here, Tom, is, uh, is Rob Sherwood, and talk. maybe you've already had him on the show prior to me joining here, but so I had an email conversation with Rob, and, and he said that uh, he routinely tests his radios there with plus 20 dBm, okay? Now, plus 20 dBm is 100 milliwatts. And he said he's you know all rigs that he's ever tested are all safe with 100 milliwatts uh, of input power. Now um, I, I would get a little nervous with 100 milliwatts into just kind of a dedicated you know low cost shortwave receiver or FDR receiver, but uh, he said he's never had any kind of a problem like that. And just to put that in perspective, that's 93 dB over S9. Okay, and uh, so if you've got a mechanical S meter in your rig. Uh, it might go to 60 dB over or something like that, or sometimes 40 dB over. So, but just think about that's plus 20 dBm is is 93 dB over S9. But it's still safe for the rig. But you got an S meter, it might uh, it might bang the S meter against the stop. Now, if you want to be extra cautious, let's drop a whole another order of magnitude. Drop down to 10 milliwatts, which is plus 10 dBm. Okay, that's 83 dB above S9. But that but 10 milliwatts is Nothing, that's not going to hurt anything, okay, at 10 milliwatts. So let's take a look at some of the other numbers here. Uh, a 100 watt rig, like a you know, the typical barefoot 100 watt HF rig, 
uh, convert that to DBM, that's plus 50 DBM. And if you get up to a you know full legal limit at 1500 watts, that's just under 62 dBm. It's actually 61.57 or 61.76, I think, dBm. I actually got some, the next page I created first and got the extra decimals in there, but I rounded it here. So that's 62 dBm. So what do we need this switch isolation to be? Okay. So if we're dealing with, say, a 100-watt rig at plus 50 dBm, and we're going to tell ourselves that plus 10 dBm is safe, the switch has to give you about 40 dB of isolation, okay? So about a factor of 10,000, okay? And uh, so, okay, well, that's a good, good number to know. And then if you're running 1,500 watts, you need about 52 dB of isolation to get you down to that plus 10 dBm, you know, number that we all feel is, is, is safe, okay? Well, the good thing is that most switches that have isolation ratings on them are rated for 60 dB or more of isolation, okay, and sometimes much more than 60 dB. So that gets you another, you know, 10 dB more than you really needed here, and 20 dB more than you needed here. So as long as you get a switch that actually has some specs on it, and the specs are, you know, like I said, most cases that I've looked up, if you look at the Alpha Deltas, and you look at Daiwas, and you look at Diamonds, and you look at MFJs and things like that, they, they typically have ratings of 60 dB or better. Uh, and sometimes that 60 dB rating might be at UHF frequencies, and at HF frequencies it's better. Because the crosstalk that you get or the isolation gets worse the higher you go in frequency. So you get less isolation at 150 or 140 megahertz at 2 meters than you will at, you know, at 75 meters 75 meters it might be a good you know 10 db or more better than you know than it is at the uh, uhf or phf or uhf reading so but if you're in doubt test it you know and the way to test it is hook it up turn the rig you're going to transmit with you know down as low you can as you can in power and then turn on the other rig that's switched off uh, and then when you transmit, watch how much power is going into the receiver. And keep in mind that even if it's, it's okay to go well over S9, it's, it's okay to go 40 or 60, you know, 80 dB above S9, okay? But just, to, just take a look at it, and then you can decide yourself whether that's going to be good enough. So, uh, but the numbers really kind of bear it out. So, uh, and if you dig up the data sheets for these, you'll, you'll find that uh, most of them have got an isolation uh, specification on them, and you'll easily exceed these numbers. But if you, you know, if it's an old switch, or you might want to test it to be sure it's grounding and all that stuff, it's got to be clean. It's got to be in good shape. Uh, but again, if you test things first, um, that's always a good thing to do. So uh, let's take a quick look. While I'm going to switch off the share here, and just for the heck of it, I don't know if Alpha Del if, if we've got any data sheets that are in the. Um, just looking to see if there's a data sheet in the uh, DX Engineering page here to see if uh, it indicates what the isolation is, but it doesn't look like it is. I was going to pull something up there to see, but if you go to their website, I'm sure you could find that. But uh, so if you're in doubt and actually want to test it, um, I could, I'll, I'll show you real quick here how I might want to do that. So what I'm going to do is uh, switch to a different camera. And oh, I think I need to turn the background off here. Let me let me do that. Let's see. Let's go virtual background and turn that off. Okay. So uh, so you should see. Uh, let's see. 
Let me close this. You should see my um, you know, a couple of switches here on the table. Oops, I just bumped the camera here. So you got, you know, here's this little uh, three position one from MFJ, um, and then similar to this uh, this one here from Daiwa. Um, again, these are, are very similar in construction and things like that, and they, and they do ground the unused port. So if I'm switched to that one, this port is shorted to ground and vice versa. Uh, this is a you know the two position alpha delta i actually have the four position alpha delta over on my shack over there uh, but same type of a thing and this one is nice is that it, it features a center off ground that grounds all of the connectors uh, when you're in the center off position this mfj has that as well uh, this diwa that i have here this uh, cs201 does not have a center off position but if we want to test this, you know, one way to do that is, you know, as I described, just uh, using the radios. But uh, we can also test it using um, you know, something like these little, uh, you know, nano VNAs. And let me get this one kind of set up here, and then uh, I will show you some of the results. Right. So uh, I'm just, I, I've already kind of set up and did a calibration uh, and set up for testing these. I'm just going to uh, set up a sweep from one megahertz to 150 megahertz. Let me set up the display so it goes upside down here so that we can you can actually see it when I turn this around. So let's flip that display around. Let's see if we can make this all work on the camera. First time trying to mess around with the camera here to make this all work. So I'm going to take uh, the uh, port one, or uh, they're called channel zero in the nano VNA, connect it up to the uh, common port, and I'll take the transmission port, connect that up to one of the ports here on the switch. Okay. Again, I've already run through the open, load, short, and through calibration on the Nano VNA. So I know it's probably not, not going to be able to read it, but I want to at least kind of show you the result. So right now, let me move the, let's move the marker. I'm going to move the marker all the way over to the far end here. So if I have the switch over in so the switch in the kind of switched in position here so now i'm just seeing you know the this is the the loss through the uh, switch is actually minimal there's a blue line up here that's my s21 and that's the transmission through um the switch so it's, the switch is actually looking like it's not even there now if i switch this to the one position okay um we can see, if you look carefully, you can see there's a little bit of a rise in this, rising from one megahertz when you get up to 150 megahertz. Because if I have this off, right to the off position, you'll notice how this end went down. So we're looking essentially at the noise floor of this nano VNA, okay? So we really can't measure you know, anything better than what's being shown here, which is about uh, 80 or 90 dB down. But if I switch it over to the other port, um, now we can actually see what that isolation is. And you can actually see how the isolation starts to be measurable by the nano VNA up at this end. Down here, it's you know more isolation than I can measure with this inexpensive nano VNA. But all the way up here at 150 megahertz, again, I don't know if you probably can't read this number, it, we're sitting at about minus 71, minus 70 dB. So I've got 70 dB of isolation at 150 megahertz. Okay, so that's already that's 30 dB more than we really need 
you know, uh, that's all the way at 150 megahertz. So if we go all the way down, you know, to the HF portion of the band, now if we kind of follow this line kind of linearly down, we'd probably be down around 85 or 90 dB of isolation at HF. So more than enough isolation uh, to keep the other radios connected to the off ports safe, even transmitting, you know, legal limit uh, through the, uh, the selected radio. So uh, again, I think that as long as you, you know, double check the switches that you're looking to use uh, and uh, make sure that they are grounding switches, take a look at the specs that they have for isolation uh, between the ports, um, you can uh, then make the judgment of whether or not you, know, you feel comfortable with doing that. But from a technical standpoint, uh, you know, the switches can certainly be used in the reverse direction or the opposite direction as opposed to being an antenna switch, they could be a rig switch. And, uh, and uh, you know, in my emails back and forth with Rob Sherwood, he said he's he's doing the same thing. He's got uh, you know several rigs that are all switched through uh, you know, some of these multi-port switches to go to his common antenna system and things like that. So uh, not uh, not something to really worry about as long as you use good quality switches. So anyway, I thought that was uh, kind of interesting to uh, to chat about there. Um, and uh, hopefully that answers the question that we had about uh, whether we can use these switches in reverse and uh, and use them to select different rigs through a common antenna system. Well, great. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, they, <clears throat> you didn't have one to show us tonight, but they're the uh, remote switches that you put out the tower and run one piece of coax. Those are so easy to build. I've got a couple here. Uh, if I'd thought about it, I would have pulled them out where... Uh, I took just a military uh, a box, you know, it's got the little rubber seal around it, and I put uh, I put a uh, RJ45 connector on it. I ran a Cat5 cable out to it. I get, that's eight conductor, and uh, I had seven relays in a box. So I could switch seven relays on and off, and uh, it made a nice little uh, antenna switch out there with a little oh, yeah. simple. Yeah. Yeah. If I go I'll take a look at this page here on uh, DX Engineering, here's... Mm -hmm. Here's the, the the remote switch that they that they engineer and sell. Uh, so this would allow you to you know, mount this guy up on the yeah. tower, nice weatherproof case, and then uh, there's the control console that you have. But yeah. they also sell uh, you know ones from MFJ, and I hear really good things about this Ham Plus uh, unit here as well. Array uh, solution. Oh, I'm sorry, Alan. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Array Solutions actually sells one that, that sends two radios into eight antennas. Oh, okay. Um, there you it, go. It, that's one I had. Now I, I got to give you a bit of caution. Uh, static electricity does not like those relays because I got it on my bench right now, and it's it's past repair. So mm. I'm I'm going to be rebuilding. It's it's past that point. But also, um, if you look on on uh, DX Engineering's website, they actually have a triplexer, three radios into the same antenna actively at the same time so you can mm -hmm. run three radios on one tribander and uh i've i've actually used one not not the one from dx engineering but the one from uh, what is that a four oa um and uh or four a oa four a zero a i can't remember the exact call there but we used one of those at field day one year and you could not even hear a key click from the other radios yeah, the, the diplexers are nice because I mean the diplexer. You know, the, people often ask what the, what's the difference between a diplexer and a duplexer, right? And the, the diplexer is typically a set of filters that are are filtering by band. Okay, you might have 
you know, two meters on one and, you know, 70 centimeters on another, et cetera. Uh, duplexers, on the other hand, are typically a set of filters that are operating in band. Uh, that's typically what's used on a repeater where you're just transmitting between, you know, uh, you're separating and isolating transmit and receive frequencies or input or output frequencies on the same band. That's a duplexer. The diplexers are typically switching several bands into, it's like you said, uh, Dwayne, a, a multi-band antenna, like a, like a tri-band uh, you know, beam or something so like we that. So have we have a question in the uh, chat room there. They'd like for you to explain again the difference between DBM and DB. Oh, okay, sure. So um, that's a good question. So DB by itself is actually a, a relative number. It's kind of like the same thing as saying, Hey, this guy is three times stronger than that guy, or you know this amp the amplifier makes the signal ten times stronger. Okay, so a dB rating or a dB level is really just another way of expressing that. So it's a logarithmic way of expressing that ratio. So a dB is always a ratio. So in in terms of RF power, for example, um, three, you know, 10 dB is a 10, 10x change in power. Okay, uh, so and 3 dB is a 2x change in power. Okay, when you see the uh, another letter following dB, like dBm, then what that tells you is that that ratio has got a you're comparing it against something known. Okay, instead of saying it's 10 times greater than this, 10 times you know, 10 times less than that. The this or that that you're comparing it to is a known, and that's what like the M stands for a milliwatt. So when you say dBm, it's decibels relative to a milliwatt. So 10 dBm is 10 dB higher than a milliwatt. Okay, so because that's what the M is milliwatt. So and since 10 dBm or 10 dB is a factor of 10, therefore 10 dBm is actually 10 milliwatts. Okay, those numbers actually all seem to work that way, but you know, just we we talked about a hundred watt rig. That's fifty dB higher than a milliwatt, right? So that's why it's fifty dBm is equal to a hundred watts. So whenever you see the letters just dB, that's referring to things like gain of an antenna, right? The antenna's got six dB of gain or ten dB of gain. Right, it doesn't matter how much power you put in, the gain is still the gain, right? So if the gain is you know, 6 dB, it's always 6 dB. Whether you put a milliwatt in or you put 100 watts in, it's still going to amplify it by a certain, it's just going to you're going to have a certain amount of gain. So the dB without a suffix is a relative ratio type of a thing. Uh, and then the letter after it, like dBm, that would be dB relative to a milliwatt. In the case of things like antennas, sometimes you see dBd, which is decibels relative to a dipole. So it's comparing the performance of an antenna relative to a dipole operating at the same frequency. You'll see dBi. dBi means your decibels relative to an isotropic radiator. An isotropic radiator is a theoretical antenna, like a theoretical point source that radiates equally in all directions, like the perfect omnidirectional antenna, which doesn't exist. But uh, but that's it's another it's a point of, it's a way of referencing gain of another antenna compared to some common thing. So the suffix after dB becomes the reference or the common thing and turns a dB relative measurement into an absolute measurement. So 
So I hope I did a video on this to, and I went into more detail with a couple of, you know, equations and charts and things like that. So hopefully that five minute, five minute explanation helps clear that up. Okay. Let's see. Were there any other questions? Uh, yeah. Bill Pullum asked about the separation on those triband or triplexers. And mm -hmm. uh, in most cases, it's greater than 80 dB between channels. Okay. So it's pretty similar to, uh, or you know, even with the, uh, oftentimes the amount of attenuation or separation you have in the duplexers is is even is greater than that, because uh, you know now you're talking about you know trying to receive a very weak signal, uh, in the presence of the you know, 40 or 50 or 100 watt you know transmitter that you have, you know for a repeater. You know, what we've been talking about with these switches is to have enough isolation to not cause any problems or damage to another radio. But in the case of a duplexer and a repeater, you got the, re the repeater still has to be able to receive the weak signals at the same time as the transmitter is transmitting. So you really need, you know, far more than 60 or 70 dB, typically you need 100 or 120 dB of isolation between the transmit and receive frequencies on a repeater. So. The duplexers are, that's why you see they're, they're very carefully designed and very carefully adjusted to kind of achieve that. And it's one of the reasons why duplexers cost an order of magnitude more than a diplexer does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, anything else in the chat room here? That I, I didn't see okay. anything else. Well, great. Uh, you know, uh, coax is expensive. And especially if you have long runs and you want to use low loss stuff, and uh, having that remote antenna switch is a great uh, thing to have out there. Yep, that's what we use. We use remote mm -hmm. antenna switches. Um, unfortunately, mine is on my workbench, so I'm doing manual switching now, which in my case means running out to the tower and actually switching. Mm. So I'm not making rapid rapid band changes at any time now. All right. Hey, just for the heck of it, I, I put the link to my video on DB and DBM and DBC and things like that. Uh, okay. The link to that video uh, that's been viewed 245,000 times, <laughs> that's uh, now in the chat room. Oh, wow. That's a lot of uh, times to... Uh, yeah. It's an interesting topic, though. A lot of people will, will go to it. Okay. Well, thanks, uh, Alan, uh, for that. And uh, as always, your uh, tech tips uh, segment is uh, spot on, and uh, a lot of people really uh, get a lot of uh, good knowledge from your uh, your talks. And let me just say, go go to Alan's uh, YouTube channel, uh, W2AEW, and you'll find all these things out there on his uh, on his YouTube channel. Yeah, I just I just posted two more videos this weekend. Um, do you remember a, cu uh, a couple of months ago we we were chatting about uh, analog VOMs and the Simpson yeah. 260? So I did a, a little over an hour long presentation to the New Jersey Antique Radio Club, uh, and uh, all about the the Simpson 260. Talked about all the various generations and flavors of them, and how to use all the uh, you know, extra jacks and ranges and things like that, how to calibrate them, the theory of operation and all of that. So if you're obsessed with analog VOMs, <laughs> the Simpson 260, and you've got nothing better to do, you can go waste an hour of your time watching that video. And then uh, I also posted a video, um, uh, just a short six-minute video uh, from Saturday morning, 
one of the local clubs I belong to here, the uh, the Raritan Valley Radio Club uh, here in Central New Jersey. We had our annual ham fest, and uh, I was in charge of bringing about a dozen tables to the fest to use for the club table, and for we had a couple of vendors that we bring tables for, and also brought some tables to our food vendor, and then uh, we had uh, uh, Ria, um, our you know the Hudson. Hudson Division Director, Rhea Jiram, uh, and 2RJ was there. And uh, so we had a table over for her as well. So I I had to leave here a little bit before 5 a.m. to uh, to go to the ham fest. So I, uh, I did a little video chronicle of leaving the driveway at uh, you know, a little before 5 in the morning, uh, getting some things set up, and then at the end of it, uh, coming back and pulling back in the driveway again. So uh, a little bit of fun in central New Jersey on Saturday morning. Well, at least you got to go to a ham fest, and that's what I say. Did yeah. <laughs> you know? Our, we use those Simpson, uh, the Simpson two sixty or, or three sixty. The our two sixty is what it mm-hmm. is. Um, we use that for actually finding the the they call it the reference pulse in an encoder. You got a thousand <laughs> thousand pulses per revolution on channel A, a thousand points of revolution, a thousand pulses per revolution on B, but you only have one pulse and it's one one thousandth of a revolution on C and if you need to set your equipment up where that that C channel is right at the top you can't use a digital voltmeter it just doesn't work fast enough and we use the we use the Simpson and we keep cranking in the round till it makes a dip and then you go back and forth right at that one one thousandth of a turn till you get it where it's it's off oh how about that okay wow there you go. all right guys uh let me just uh, quickly make an announcement again out there. If you're listening on Shortwave, you're listening to a ham radio show, Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's all about ham radio. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to tom at w5kub.com. If you're out there listening on WBCQ on 7490, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, hey, in a minute, we're going to talk about I, I built a little homebrew project for the show. I threw something together this, uh, uh, just a couple days ago. Look at this. Look at this. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but uh, I will tell you, I did let the smoke out of something while I was building this, and uh, um, it happens. It was an accident. I knew better, but I let the smoke out, and we'll talk a little about that in a minute, but uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be right back in just a, a moment or two. The great outdoors are calling. Get outside and under the stars with one of ICOM's ultimate SDR transceivers. The IC705 is a perfect transceiver for hams who enjoy both the great indoors and the outdoors. It's a perfect QRP companion. The base station has features and functionality at the tip of your fingers and a portable package. And it covers HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. And guess what? It weighs in at just under 2 pounds. It has a 4.3 inch touchscreen and it's got a live band scope and waterfall. It'll run 5 watts with a BP272 or 10 watts on 13.8 volts DC. It runs all modes, including D-Star. The speaker microphone comes standard. The perfect accessory for the 705 is the LC192 backpack. It has a special compartment for your IC705 and room for all your accessories. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver radio brings direct sampling to the UHF VHF weak signal world. This all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are just sure to keep you busy. It has a 4.3 inch color touchscreen and spectroscope and waterfall. 
It has smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels and it's full duplex operation in satellite mode. Heard it, worked it, and logged it with ICOM 7300. It's a high performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. RF before various receiver stages to reduce the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 is the radio that changed the way of entry-level HF. Visit www.icomamerica/amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. All right, and we are back. Just going to check one thing here real quick. Uh, uh, Kathy has been over at our home in North Carolina uh, for the last two weeks, and she's heading back tonight. It's only a 500-mile drive. And uh, let's see where she is. I've got this secret tracker on her right here. <laughs> well, oh, there she is right there. What is she doing in New Jersey? That's not New Jersey. She's halfway, <laughs> halfway between Nashville and Jackson, Tennessee right now. So she's heading this way. She should be here, I don't know, 10 o'clock or so. Just about time for the show to go off. All right. Well, hey, guys, uh, I'm a home brewer. Uh, I want to get back into home brewing. I like building stuff. Uh, and I like to build it from scratch. This closet next to me right here probably has a million junk parts in it. Boxes of resistors and capacitors and knobs and anything. The only thing I can't find for this last project, I couldn't find for this last project, was a case to put it in. And that drove me crazy. It drove me crazy. So I went up to uh, the hobby shop and I bought a baseball uh, I bought a baseball trophy case. You, you, you put a baseball in here and you put it up on your mantle, you know. But I, like I wanted something to mount this stuff in. I'll tell you what this is. In just a minute. I'm trying to see what order I want to put this out there. So, a home brewer, I like building stuff. Every part in here basically is something that came out of the closet. Um, and it's fun building. You know, I built kits before, Heath kits and other kits, as I, you know, uh, throughout the, you know, 58, 59 years I've been a ham. But I just, you can build the same thing that you can build in these kits if you just have good, uh, you know, junk boxes. And um, so, you know, I've been building the little trackers, uh, the little uh, whisper trackers. And they run about 10 milliwatts. And I've got a couple uh, spectrum analyzers that I can measure the power with. And as uh, Alan said, uh, 10 dBm is 10 milliwatts. And when I see that 10 dBm on my uh, spectrum analyzer, I know I'm at 10 milliwatts. And 
I like building little things like PAs, little amplifiers for this. And if I want a 100 milliwatt amplifier on my spectrum scope, that is 20 dBm. Is that right, uh, Alan? I'm sorry, you uh, said... Ten, uh, 100 milliwatts would be 10 dB, I mean uh, 20 dBm. 20 dBm, 100 milliwatts be 20. 20 yep. so, so, you know, I mean, I, I'm using a big piece of equipment to do a little job here. And it's very accurate, but I'm thinking, okay, let's just do some, let's build something here for the show. So I built a QRP watt meter. Now this is not a bird watt meter. This is a KUB watt meter. <laughs> I'm not sure how accurate it is. I mean, it's it's pretty accurate to tell you the truth. And it, if you calibrate it, it's, it's it's really accurate. So what I did is, and here here's the final. Uh, Final product right here, and I'm gonna tell you a little about it in just a minute. I've got a couple pictures here to show you. First of all, let, let me just run a quick video here for you uh, about uh, about home brewing, and then um, and then I'm gonna run one where I smoke something, and you'll see that. So here we go. I want to talk just a minute about just some simple things you can do in your uh, workbench. You know, in your uh, on your workbench, it's always good to have a uh, uh, variable power supply. Here's a little lab supply that actually um, is a dual supply. I can parallel them or I can series them, but typically I just run one side at one time. So it's uh, it's variable. You can see the voltage. Yeah, we're not the hearing the audio in front of you. Right? I, want. I can just turn it over here. Also, I can set the current they're, they're here where it doesn't exceed webcast. a certain current. But you know what? This is fancy. You don't need a fancy power supply in your shack. Let me show you. I've used this for probably 30 years. It's a very simple homemade power supply right here. And um, it's, uh, it's really simple. It's just a, you know, a simple power supply, a little transformer, some diodes, some uh, filtering, and a regulator and a pass transistor and you're actually able to see if I can get it to focus you're actually able to make it variable again uh, this is an old surplus meter that I calibrated to read voltage so when I'm in a voltage position I can basically read voltage there's uh, 5 volts 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 volts so you can watch as I turn the Tensiometer here, I can vary the voltage. So there's about, um, on, on my analog meter, there's about 10 volts, and you can see that. Let's go up to 15 volts. I'm just gonna crank it up, there's 15 volts. And a lot of, got a lot of projects where I operate, you know, lower voltage. For instance, my uh, trackers uh, that I build um, typically run three to uh, six and a half volts. So this is a great little power supply. I use this for everything. And uh, I originally built it without this um, this digital meter on there. I've just got this stuck on the front and across the uh, the power leads, uh, uh, just so I have a digital readout. But in addition to taking this same meter here and reading voltage, I've also got a shunt across it where I can measure current. So if I flip this down from volts to to amps, now I'm reading current and the current would be up to one amp so it'd be zero i don't know if this is focusing it'd be 
be zero to um, zero to one amp right there. So that would be uh, there's a uh, hundred milliamps right there, 100, 200 milliamps, three hundred, and so forth. So it's a great little supply. It's something you can build very easily. Uh, parts aren't critical. You probably got parts in a junk box. You can build something like this, and you don't have to put a analog meter on it. You can buy a little meter like this off of eBay for, I don't know, three or four bucks to put on there. And uh, they, they have one that even reads current. You can read voltage and current. So I use this thing daily in the shack uh, for a lot of things. And it's good for about an amp, an amp and a half. I'm going to need to get going here in about, okay. about 10 minutes. Okay. All right, so that was... Um, I was just showing you some little homebrew projects, and uh, one of the I use every single day in the in the shack here is that variable power supply. It really comes in handy. Now I was going to show you this, and, and then we're going to talk about this watt meter. But I was going to show you the the uh, the homebrew, the power supply, and um, I was going to demonstrate it on a video here. But I forgot I had it hooked up. I had it hooked up to one of my trackers. Again, three to about five volts is all this thing will take. And you're going to see me. I've got a 30-second video here where I actually blow the tracker up. So here we go. <laughs> Watch the meter very closely when I turn it up. I thought I was turning. I was trying to turn voltage up, but I had it on the current. And uh, the current was staying really low. And you'll see when I turn that knob, the current went boom like that. And that's because the voltage went very high. And then it went back like this. And then that was it you know that was it so look here's uh, about a 30 second one here and you'll see me blow out the uh, blow up the tractor here we go and uh, Alan you're not going to hear the uh, the audio the way I've got it queued up here but here we go you know I like to uh, build things from scratch I built a lot of kits in uh, the early days but I like home brewing building stuff from just junk box parts <clears throat> one of the uh, nicest things I've used and I've used it daily is this little homebrew power supply here that um, that I built, and uh, it's good for about two amps, and it'll go up to I think about 25 volts. And um, this is just a little add-on right here. I don't need that. I read the voltage so it's set directly. So current right now. Voltage and current directly. Not voltage, so, but I turn uh, again, the voltage homebrew, up. We're measuring current right now. I can now. bring the voltage up. Here we go. Bam. I can, I can adjust, it's gone. You know, check the voltage it's here. <laughs> it's dead. It's over with. You know, that was uh, that was it, man. That was that was it. So, so I blew my tracker up, and, and you know, this thing is so small, you do build it under a microscope, and then, you know, it, it, it's got a lot of things going here. Let's say, hey, we got, we got somebody coming in here. I wonder what's going on here. Let's see who this might be. Don't know who it is. Who is that? Who is that? Oh my! It's gone. Is it gone? Yep. 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 I, we're there. She is. Well, <laughs> say something. There Hi, you go. All right. Now, are you at home? Uh, I am. I yes, came yes. home, so I thought I could pop in and say hi to everyone. <laughs> All right. Well, I thought you were going to pop in. Dwayne didn't know, but you, I saw your email said pop in. Yeah. yeah, I thought it'd surprise you. Yeah, all right. I hope, well, I hope my husband's been behaving himself. 
And being he, a good guest. He is. In fact, he told me he needed to leave in a few minutes because they'd only leave a few hours before the bar closes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, actually, he didn't say well, I that. I sent him a note. It, I'm like, don't you think he should be getting going soon? He's got about an hour and a half drive to his yeah, hotel. Yeah, so. yeah he, he, uh, he, uh, he didn't say anything about the bar, but he did say he had to leave in the next 10 minutes or so. Hey, I'm glad you joined That's us right. here. That's right. I had enough wine tonight for the both of us. Glad you joined <laughs> us here. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, Katie, I mean, here, look at hey, everybody out there. Look, here's a different picture. We got Katie into a different picture. Now, doesn't that crew look good right there? Yeah. I think that crew oh. looks really good right there and uh if we could just do something with alan and glenn and me uh, you know it'd be perfect right there yeah just wipe them <laughs> off and leave katie on that's well yeah you know uh, uh well, well like, oh you mean something like this yeah it's more like that yeah more like that right there okay <laughs> well, well katie alan choke all right well we're not we're not that desperate yet we still have viewers yeah. out here so and in, in case people wondering we did not plan the red shirt thing it just happened oh the red shirt yeah. yeah, yeah, it just happened. Um, I told he wanted Katie, to wear something green so he would be see-through. Yeah, I wanted to be yeah. a disembodied head tonight. <laughs> well, here, here we go. Here we go. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> Although I do have to say, Dwayne, we could see through your hair in some cases in the back. It was kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the hair product you're buying. It's turning my hair green. All right, uh, who, 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 who who's that with Katie? That is Downey. This is, that is the sweetest kid in the whole world. Yeah. Well, cool. She wants nothing more than you to rub her head. That's it. Just rub All her right. head. Rub my head, rub my head, rub my head, rub it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Katie, thanks for joining us tonight. We're always happy to have you on here. Um, somebody asked, how come Glenn isn't smiling? Because he's not happy about yeah, it. He's not happy, I guess. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to get back to my project where I blew something up here. And, and yeah. guys, I'm going, yeah, I want to, to see that. I'm going to slip out and say thanks to Tom for okay. being a, a gracious host. And I am actually headed down south for, actually, it's more like. West, east, isn't it? Uh, east, yeah, south, yeah. and east. South and east. Well, how, how far are you going? To uh, Corinth. Uh, Corinth. An hour and a half. Okay, so. not not bad. Yeah, I've still got an hour and a half to go before I can lay my head down, and I've been up since early this morning. So okay. I'm going to say 73 to everybody, and I'll call you in a few minutes, Katie. All right, well, look, hey, I'm going to let okay. you know. You know where how to get out. Yeah. Uh, you can go out through the garage, yeah. right there at your car. You ought, see this, you ought to see this fancy Mustang he's driving. Oh, man. Don't get any speeding tickets. It's canary yellow. It's it is. It's canary yellow. yellow. I've never seen one that color. Me neither. All right. So when you back out, <laughs> be very careful because the drive curves. Right. It doesn't go straight back. And but cars nowadays plan on <laughs> stupid drivers like me. So well, they got these beepers and buzzers and all sorts of stuff. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't trust it. But you know what? <laughs> you could probably pull into the garage and, and you know do a turnaround right there. Yeah, whatever. Happen to sling a circle and, and whatever you want. Burn to do. that brand new concrete up for you. <laughs> no, please don't do that. All, all right. right. Seventy-three guys. Seventy-three to you. We'll see you later. Glad you stopped by here. All right, so uh, great to have the visitor in the shack tonight. We'll see you. All right, uh, so uh, I was talking about the little project I wanted to build here for the show, and uh, it was just a little, it's a, a little uh, QRP watt meter, dummy load and watt meter, and let me just show you how simple it is. Uh, to build and I've got some pictures here. So first here's the schematic of it. Very simple, very simple. Uh, BNC comes in. We got a 50 ohm load. 
We have a diode there to uh, rectify the, the signal as it comes through. And then it goes through a resistor to a meter. And this uh, meter is just a little 100 microamp meter. You can use various meters. This is just what I had in the junk box to build. Um, I did put a three position switch there with three uh, pots there so I could actually calibrate the, the uh, watt meter uh, for different uh, 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 power levels. So on the scale, this, the 0 to 100 scale on the meter, uh, I, I, one position, I adjusted the pot where it, it's uh, 10 milliwatts. The, the second position on the switch is 100 milliwatts, full scale. And then I was going to make the third position just 1 watt, full scale. Now you could actually make this like a 1 watt and a 5 watt or a 10 watt, whatever you wanted to do. But uh, I, I wanted to make it where it was really sensitive. So this is basically it. It's not a whole lot to it right here. Uh, I had a calibrated, or I, I had a, uh, 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 a very accurate measured uh, level uh, from my spectrum analyzer, so I knew the level. Uh, and that way it would help me calibrate this to where it's almost perfect. So... Um, yeah, the, looking at the schematic, Tom, I probably would have I probably would have put the capacitor on the cathode of the the diode, not around the meter, uh, uh, the, because this because now yeah. now that whatever the coil resistance is of the meter, that's what's going to discharge okay. that cap. Well, you know, and that's something we can do and experiment experiment with and move to. You know, yeah. Uh, another thing I was a little concerned about, and I might need a series resistor uh, past that diode because. Uh, uh, there will be well a very slight difference on that 50 ohm load with those potentiometers. Now they're they're high value. They're somewhere like 50,000 ohms. So you know you take a very high value resistor and parallel it or whatever with a 50 ohm resistor. Yeah, it's, it's not going to it's not going to change it hardly any at all. But that's a good point, and uh, uh, I haven't had a chance to do a lot of testing with it. But yeah, I can move that. And uh, yeah, the way you, the way you've got it, it's going to it's you know, the 50 ohm load is not going to be well, uh, not going to be disturbed very much at all. If yeah. you move the cap to the cathode side of the uh, of the the diode, then um, then you will see a uh, a change in impedance due to that. But then you you could always stick another smaller you know another like a you know, a smaller resistor in series with the cap to kind yeah, of yeah. keep that out of there. But then the series resistor in series with the meter will present a much larger impedance to the meter or to the capacitor and it won't drain it off so fast. Right, right. So so uh, that's kind of my starting point right there. And you guys saw, you saw uh, I, I blew up my, uh, I blew up my tracker just demoing the, uh, uh, the power supply earlier. So, uh, so I, I uh, let's see, my, my, man, my things aren't in any order here. Uh, I had a bunch of resistors. Uh, I, I have so many tons of parts here. Here's a bag of precision 1% resistors. These are 51.7 ohms. And I felt like, okay, 51.7 ohms, you know, that would be a good value to use for, you know, a 50 ohm load. Uh, it's going to be close enough. And since these aren't in any order, let me jump around here just a little to see if I can find the one I'm looking for. Uh, I'm measuring it with my fluke, and it's showing 53 ohms. Bob, now, yeah. What was that, Bill? Is that a 1N34A diode? No, it was a 1N914. Yeah, 1N914. 
I, I wanted to put a one in thirty four in there. Uh-huh. I, I wanted to put a one in thirty four in there, but I couldn't find one in my junk box. So I used a, a one in nine fourteen. So back to the resistor here. This Alan, is a, what kind of power can a nine fourteen handle? Well, well, I don't know, but we're going to find out. So here I am testing one of the resistors, uh, and my fluke is showing 53.3 ohms. Now that's a 51.7 ohm precision resistor. Well, so I start thinking about it. Is my fluke really off that much? Uh, so uh, I put it on a, a dummy load. I, so I put my fluke on a dummy load here, and it registers, hey, 52.3. Hmm. So I get a different dummy load, and I put it on this one, and it reads... 53.7, hmm. So then I say, okay, I'm a checkometer out. I short the clip leads. Now these are, you gotta understand, these are Chinese, low quality Chinese clip leads. Uh, between the, the leads, the, the meter leads and these clip leads, I've got a little bit of resistance uh, in them right there. So I wasn't too worried about that, even 1.7 ohms being off. Uh, that is not much to a 50 ohm load. Now, the resistors I had, they're, they're small. I guess they're probably eighth watt or something like that. They're pretty small. And I'm not going to have much power, but I decided, okay, let's see if I can take it up to a half watt. So I just took four uh, 51 ohm resistors. Uh, you know, two in parallel, two in series, and uh, that gives me the same value. It gives me the, you know, the same value as a single one. So I figure if those are about an eighth watt each, that gives me maybe a half a watt, maybe half a watt or less uh, of, of dissipation here. So that's kind of what I I, uh, I use for the dummy load. Now let's see where where it was. I let's see. So. Okay, so I start pulling some parts out of the junk box. Let me see. Uh, we need a potentiometer. Uh, I decided to go with, in, in my junk box, I have multiple types. I've got, you know, the, the big potentiometer. This is something like you take out of a TV in the 80s. You know, this is your vertical hole control, your volume control, your, your uh, you know, brightness or whatever. You know, hundreds of those. But if you look at the little ones there, those are precision, like, those are like 20-turn uh, pots. So they're very um, easy to precisely set. So uh, instead of using three of the big pots, I, I, I mounted three little small ones there. Um, so uh, let's see. Cut me a hole in the box. Uh, bought me a, 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 a baseball box. I couldn't find anything else to put it in. And let's see. Cut me a hole in here for the meter. Uh, mounted the meter. Let's see. Um, you know, for the switch. I mean, you got to hey, uh, talk. You know, hey, your junk box is your friend. Uh, you know, if you need a knob, you just reach in here. You bring out your knob box. So there we go. Uh, so uh, again, let's see. You hey, can see cigar. The, box. Well, yeah, cigar box. Bring out the cigar box. So um, is that a trophy meter? It's a trophy. It's a baseball trophy uh, case. That's all I could find. That, so that'd be a trophy meter. That's all. All I could find to put this thing in, and I really didn't want to put it in that. But anyway, there's a back view right there of you know the little uh, uh, pots to, to adjust it. Uh, there's the front view right there. Uh, B and C on the side. The switch on top, and um, so. 
Um, and, it, and it works pretty good, Bill. I can, you know, I can, I can hook the tracker up to it, and you know, it reads right at, you know, 10, uh, 10. Actually, it reads 11 milliwatts, uh, and that's what my um, analyzer is reading. So that's one of the projects I tried to throw together this week for the show. Um, you know, again, this is not a bird watt meter. Uh, we can surely make improvements with it. But uh, uh, I had uh, a specific tracker bill that I had built for with and had programmed it for constant carrier. And I was just using it for my test for constant carrier. And uh, that's the one I blew up. So I've got to, I got to build another one. Uh, evidently that, that 12 to 20 volts didn't do the little three volt regulator uh, very good so that's kind of uh, where we stand on on that um, yeah, Charlie, Charlie in the chat says those uh, those chicken head knobs are the right kind of knobs to use on projects like this yeah yeah so let's let's look at the knob box here uh, you you'll find uh, you'll find just about anything in there from the the, the pointers to the round ones to the big ones uh, all, all types right there uh, and uh, we didn't throw away anything as I, you know, was uh, growing up and coming through my uh, ham radio career. Career, and you know, working in a TV shop too with my uncle, uh, it just parts were so many parts were ready, uh, readily available. It was like uh, uh, it, it was it was better than a uh, radio shack. I just walked down through the aisles and cut out what parts I wanted, and uh, man, they were just. Uh, just yeah, I, I worked in a TV shop uh, when I was in high school. Yeah. And, uh, same kind of a deal. Whenever, whenever I, I came through, that uh, the owner didn't want to, you know, it got the estimate they didn't want to repair it, and we were just going to toss it. It wound up going in the back of my truck and going home, and I'd strip it, strip it oh, apart yeah. and things like that, and then toss it out. <laughs> my uncle, I bet you, my uncle had probably somewhere between 100 and 200 junk sets just the chassis pulled out and it's they're sitting up on their side you know and just aisles and aisles of that stuff man and uh, uh, transformers capacitors filters uh, anything you wanted switches potentiometers tubes sockets you you hey and the thing is it was all free and uh, that was a fun time back then I want to get back into building a lot more stuff here and uh, we're going to try to do some building projects here for the show, I think, uh, my, over the next month. Uh, my first uh, shortwave listening antenna was a long wire antenna strung through the attic that I had unwound from the deflection coil of an old TV. And that would be pretty bad, pretty hard to do because those deflection yokes, uh, they had a lot of shellac on them. And that, they they I, did, and it took a little bit with the heat gun and carefully yeah. stripping it out, and i get a good... 20 feet and then it would break at the start yeah over. that wire did not want to come out of those things man it didn't want to come out uh, for sure uh, yeah it was but uh but I, i'm saving my had, long, long yeah. money to go to go buy lunch at stewart's and i uh i was cheap you know too cheap to go buy wire yeah well why buy it when you have it you know i mean we had a uh, store near me called fair radio store uh sales you probably mm -hmm. heard of them and they uh, they basically looked like my barn. It was all mill surplus, old tubes, old knobs, anything you want. Mm -hmm. And I believe they're still in Lima, Ohio, but uh, just a phenomenal place. But my great uncle was a ham radio operator since the 1920s. 
and I inherited a lot of his stuff, all in cigar boxes. Boy, cigar boxes are the greatest storage uh, mechanism for parts that you could come up with. And I have dozens of cigar boxes filled with old parts. I believe you can actually buy empty cigar boxes now. And uh, I highly recommend it when you're storing parts like this because it it just works great. But uh, there was an electronic store here that was in business for since the 1950s and they finally had they had an old warehouse and they went finally went out of business and they had an old warehouse an original store in Decatur, Alabama they're from Huntsville and they had an auction of their old warehouse where they originally started and these parts have been sitting there since the 50s and 60s and the whole upstairs attic filled with rows and chassis and small master antennas and tower segments all from the 50s, 60s and it was like going back to time mm-hmm. and that was amazing to see all that stuff and uh, they had a huge auction I ended up with more, more junk out of that too yeah, you know, hey, today, uh, and I was looking at the chat room, one guy, uh, John, says uh, he used to ride his bike around the neighborhood on Sunday night because Monday was the garbage trash day and people would throw the old TVs out and he'd, he'd pick them up. But, you know, man, I throw a TV out now and it's got almost no usable parts in it. When I, You know, nowadays, you throw out a flat screen or something like that, man. I mean, you know, uh, there's not a whole lot in there that, I want to try to salvage out of it, to tell you the truth. Now, I had a friend who got married, and uh, she was going to move into his house. And they were very happy together. But one thing she wanted to do was to actually turn the uh, guest bedroom, which had turned into an electronics lab, into an actual guest bedroom. So she uh, ended up taking all his electronic junk boxes and taking them to the curb for trash pickup. And he was reluctantly, very reluctantly going along with this. Oh boy. And I'm afraid I put a little salt in the wound because I came over to visit them and I saw her happily carrying out these boxes of goodies. And I could see his sad, forlorn look on his face. And I said, hey, this is great stuff. Do you mind if I take some of this? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, you know, I, I tell you, I mean, I hey, uh, the only thing I didn't keep were tubes. Uh, I moved. Uh, I built a house years ago. We moved, and uh, I cleaned my attic out. And I had, I had probably close to eight hundred to one thousand tubes, all in boxes. You know, they they weren't all new, but they were in a proper box, tube box. And uh, I, I, I piled those out on the curb for the trash man to get. And, uh, and nowadays, you know, people are needing tubes to restore this old stuff. I was going to say that, that if you'd have held on to that, you would have had a gold mine now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I just didn't. I, I regretted selling some of my uncle's old tubes from the 20s and 30s. I sold some of his tubes to fair radio sales, and I really hated to. You know, I regretted doing that because now they're big collector's items and 
Yeah. I think I sold them for $2 a tube, and now they're probably about $20 or $30. Well, I kept uh, I kept most of the transmitting tubes and things like that, uh, the big tubes. But uh, man, I just I just couldn't keep them. Got rid of all of them, and you know, back then you don't know. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, right now, someday a, a two in two 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 might be worth five bucks, man. You know, we just need to hold on to them. Got a, I've got a buddy of mine in the radio club that's uh, been a ham for many, many years. He's, he's got his DXCC with with extra with honors, et cetera, but he's on the honor roll. But he's got a collection of parts and stuff like that. And he, he handed me a box that has some of the original germanium transistors still in the individual cardboard boxes. Yeah, yeah. I've got some old stuff like that, too. For not, not close to the original, but, you know, back in the early days. Wow, you know. But you know, just like uh, just like these uh, resistors that I had, let's see that picture right there. I've got I've got sacks and sacks and uh, uh, what do you call it? envelopes and envelopes and envelopes. Uh, I got that in the military. They were throwing it out, and of course I was a ham and I was in the military. And you just don't throw out bags of uh, precision resistors, you know, like that. And uh, you know, I that's kind of I grabbed a hold of them, and uh, guess what? Fifty years later. I have a use for one of them. Look at that. So yeah, I probably hold on to way too much stuff. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see uh, what else is going on here, uh, Bill. I know they had the uh, the balloon launch uh, this past weekend. Did you want to tell us a little about that? Was that the Great Plains? How'd it go? Yeah, uh, it was the annual uh, balloon conference. Uh, on uh, Friday, we had talks about the different aspects of uh, payload design and how to stabilize payloads. Uh, they had a, our students here at the University of Alabama Huntsville Space Hardware Club had a great paper on stabilizing camera payloads with gas jets, just like they did in the Gemini area when they're doing the spacewalks. They had gas jets on a little handheld apparatus that can control their orientation. So, um, they, in fact, they just flew it today, uh, another flight test of it, and they uh, got some excellent results. And they, uh, so we had all kinds of papers, and uh, then on the Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, um, we had a Zoom, online Zoom multi-launch where we launched balloons uh, all the way from Oregon, Idaho, um, Maryland, North Carolina, and uh, we also launched uh, here at Huntsville. So we tried a uh, very interesting thing. We put a bed sheet over a small uh, latex balloon to see if we could turn it into a uh, super pressure balloon to restrict the, uh, the mm -hmm. expansion of the mm -hmm. balloon. And... Uh, it didn't work. I think the seams popped where they had tied it together on the side of the bed sheet. But it certainly looked interesting. Looked like a ghost taking off. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, that was we we had a lot of fun with that. And there was uh, uh, next year we're planning to hold it in Indiana. It hops around, and then the year after that I'm gonna hold the conference here in Alabama. But it's called the Great. Planes uh, super launch. 
And our website is superlaunch.org if you want more information. Okay. And I think the talks will be uh, recorded. Uh, they were recorded on Zoom, and they'll be up on that website in the next week or so for people to watch uh, what they missed. Yeah, I'd like to tune in on some of those and watch them. I was uh, kind of tied up on some projects that I was busy with. But, uh, well, that's, uh, that's, that's great. Hey, uh, let me just mention, everybody, we got Huntsville coming up here soon. We'll be seeing Bill in person down here. Uh, uh, Huntsville Ham Fest is coming up. I wonder if we got Mark uh, Mark Brown in the chat room tonight. He's usually in the chat room every single night. Uh, I don't know if Mark's in here. I haven't uh, noticed, but uh, Mark is the chairman of the uh, Huntsville Ham Fest. And uh, that's uh, August, I think it's the 21st and 22nd. Uh, down in Huntsville, Alabama, a great place to go. Um, we always go down a day early and stay about two days later. It's just a nice place to be down there. Uh, the The venue is great, all inside, aside, all air conditioned, connected to the hotel. You don't even have to go out and walk in the heat to get to your car. You just walk through a a air conditioned. Uh, walkway and it just goes right into the ham fest and uh, it's going to be so cool they've got extra uh i don't know they've got a i don't know i think you added maybe 70 80 thousand square feet more this year uh to there just to spread things out a little bit so it's going to be good uh uh i just uh got a note back from our friend astronaut doug wheelock uh today uh i was following up with him to see if he's going to make it to huntsville with us uh, he uh, he enjoys going to some of the ham fest. He's been to Dayton with us eight years, uh, but uh, uh, he tried to get this on his calendar, but unfortunately, he's not going to be able to make it. So uh, I'll have to try to get him down to Huntsville, maybe maybe next year. Uh, uh, so uh, Doug will not be with us there. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Alan, you've been going to, you went to a couple of ham fests here recently. I guess things are starting to open up pretty good up there where you are. Yeah, they, they've started to open things up here. Um, I, the, the ham fest on Saturday was the second one that I've been to and the second one that's been in the area here. Um, the first one was about a month ago, and about half the people were still wearing masks uh, at that one. Uh, the ham fest on Saturday, uh, almost nobody was. Uh, the numbers in New Jersey have been decent, uh, been you know, uh, but you know, still not zero. But uh, the uh, but more than half of the population in, in New Jersey has been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So um, and uh, so you know, things are starting to open up here a bit. Um, for the most part, uh, uh, most of the restrictions have been lifted uh, for like indoor dining and things like that. So things are going in the right direction. Uh, so. Uh, but uh, yeah, so but but it was good. It was it was nice to have our our, our local ham fest. If you uh, if you go to w2qw.org, uh, that's the club's website, and there's I think our club photographer posted about 180 photos from the ham fest. Probably more photos than there were people at the ham fest. <laughs> so, but uh, mm-hmm. but it was uh, but it was it was good to be out. Uh, I was able to bring a bunch of things from uh, from my basement lab that uh, was just we're just collecting dust and was able to get the, get them to good to new homes and things like that and as I had a little bit of fun with uh, you, know, uh, you know most of my videos as you know are 
educational tutorial videos and or you know maybe, maybe uh, you know field day operating videos but this is the first one I had done that showed uh, you know a little bit of a drive a little bit of setup a little bit of tear down and a little bit of a drive in a video but uh, seemed like it was well enough received so it was fun but uh, well, that's good. I'm not sure the next one the, the big ham fest up here for us is this coming weekend it's up in Sussex County New Jersey and uh, oftentimes, you know, people here in the tri-state area call it the Dayton of the East because it is a really good-sized ham fest. There's a 15-acre uh, property uh, that is part of uh, a state fair or the county fairgrounds, and they've got a big indoor building and uh, really good, uh, you know, food service and stuff there. And and it's it's one of those ham fests. If you walk by every table, like if you take the time to go, make sure you walk by every table outside and every table mm -hmm. inside. It'll probably take you an hour. Uh, to do that and uh, that's a that's a big ham fest for us here in the northeast so but looking forward to that uh, next weekend well that's great and uh hey boy huntsville's coming up here soon uh about a month away we are starting to pull together prizes uh for uh, uh to give away on the show and uh, uh we've got a good uh lineup of prizes already Everything from uh, reels, you know, hundreds of feet of LMR 400 to uh, uh, every, just about everything. If you go to our website and look at last year's prizes for Huntsville, uh, you'll see very similar prizes uh, that we'll be giving out this year. Uh, this year, you know, the prizes will be a little bit different. Uh, uh, in the past, uh, Ham, Hambot always wanted a person to claim the prize. That we don't. That's not going to happen uh, anymore with our new chat room we're using now. Uh, you will have to uh, hit a key or make a comment, so uh, you will be listed in the chat room. And then Hambot will pick uh, a random name, and you will receive that prize. Uh, you don't have to answer you're here. But we know you're there because you've had to hit enter or something just to get yourself, get your name into the uh, queue uh, for prizes during that particular prize. So we know you're there. So we don't, uh, we don't uh, make you sit there and watch the screen. If you win, you win, and uh, we ship it to you. So uh, that's going to be great. So that's uh, that's September 21st, 22nd, I think. Um, there's another ham fest coming up uh, August 25th. Uh, it's East Tennessee. Uh, East Tennessee, it's a new one that's uh, being formed uh, near Pigeon Forge and, uh, uh, let's see, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, I think Dollyville's out there. Uh, I think it's two or three clubs coming together uh, to uh, try to have a, a larger ham fest. And uh, they've asked me to come over, uh, uh, and uh, I'm going to give a little talk on some of the balloon things we've done and uh, uh, they wanted me to even launch a little pico balloon so we'll probably just launch a pico balloon there and uh, um, uh, we'll have fun uh, that will be a it's a one day ham fest I think 8 o'clock in the morning until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and uh, we'll go down the night before but we'll probably drive back after the ham fest uh, it's probably going to be about an eight hour drive uh, tennessee is a pretty long state uh, to, to get over there so that's going to be over in uh Sever hey, Severville area. Uh, the, Yo, go ahead bill what day is that that's going to be uh, august is that this coming weekend no it's august 25th i'm sorry september 25th 
September 25th oh. is the Sevierville uh, Three Club deal, the New Ham Fest over in Sevierville, Pigeon Forge area. September 25th and uh, August 21st and 22nd is uh, is Huntsville. So we're one month out of Huntsville and two months out of the and, uh, Sevierville. This uh, weekend is Coleman. Alabama's Hum Ham Fest, and it's always a pretty good one. And it's going to be in the uh, fairgrounds, the Coleman County Fairgrounds this oh, year. Okay. And it's uh, they didn't have one last year, so this ought to be a, a really good one. And that's just uh, down the road from Huntsville. It's about thirty miles south of where I live. Yeah. So, uh, well, that's close it's enough. Right along Interstate sixty-five. So. Yeah, that's close enough that uh, I'd almost be interested in jumping in a truck and going down there. And that's uh, when that you say it's this coming weekend. It'll be this Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. I'll. I'll, I'll yeah, I'm ready. Link in the chat room. I'm ready to get back to some great ham fest here. Cliff uh, in the uh, chat room says he's going to Huntsville. It's going to be his first time there. Or Cliff. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Huntsville is about the third largest ham fest in the country. Air-conditioned, clean facilities. You would not believe how nice it is, how friendly it is there. Uh, they have the uh, nickname of the friendliest ham fest, I think, in the world. And it really is. Uh, it's, a, it's more of a family thing, too. There's a lot of families that come to it. It's not just uh, a bunch of old guys like me. you got families... Uh, Mother, fathers, and, and uh, young children that uh, that uh, come to it there. So um, it's a it's a really good good uh, ham fest to go to. And if you're there, uh, check out the Rocket Center, the Space Center out at NASA. Take a tour out there and uh, check out all the uh, uh, the different I don't know uh, tours that you can take out there and see different things. It's very uh, very informative, and uh, you'll uh, you'll really like it out there. All right, uh, let's see what else is going on, guys. We uh, we don't have anything else specifically planned for the show right now. I guess I could maybe open a phone line or something here. Maybe this last few minutes. Wanna, let me see if I can do this. Zoom link out to have other people join in on a Zoom, or just want to do the phone. Oh, line? oh yeah, you know I forgot about that. Uh, can somebody put the link in? Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? Well, mm, you have to drop and then come back in again, right? Um, uh, just go ahead and give them this Zoom link. If we ever start having problems, uh, we'll change it. Uh, let's, can can you put it in the uh, chat room? Uh, sure. Yeah. Let me let me grab it and I'll do that. Okay. So we're going to uh, uh, put in the chat room a Zoom link if you'd like to join us here. And I'm going to go ahead and bring the phone line up, too. Uh, we can take phone calls. we got phone numbers around the world, uh, local phone numbers. Uh, of course, if you've got Zoom, you'll be able to. Uh, uh, there you go. There's uh, Alan just put the Zoom link in. I forgot about doing that. That's kind of what we uh, had planned to do at the last part of each show, and I had already forgot about that. So, um, the other thing while we're waiting, too, I got maybe another little show and tell I could show. It's okay. something else I picked up here. 
kind of interesting. Let me let me uh, let me go switch my camera again, and I got to turn the you background off. You are the only off. participant in the conference. Uh, let's see. Turn my virtual background off here. Okay, let me turn the phone down a little. But anybody seen these little uh, little AMFM shortwave single sideband CW? Receivers? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You seen this thing? You can see how small this thing is. I mean, you compare it to like this. You know how big these switches are. You know they are on top of each other. So it's a tiny little receiver. Uh huh. Turn the switch on here. Um, I haven't updated the firmware on this one yet. There's some new updates for that available, but uh, but pretty cool. It uses one of the, the SI forty-three seventy-five, uh, you know, uh, complete rece you know, receiver on a chip thing. It'll do AM, uh, FM, single sideband, CW, adjustable filter bandwidths, uh, all different bands and things like that. But little tiny oh. battery-operated uh, thing. Uh, it's an open source design, so there's a lot of people that are selling them, you know, out of China and things like that. I happen to pick this one up off of eBay. I think it's a variation of the uh, the same chip that's used in like this, like this Countycom, you know, all band trend, you know, uh, receiver. Uh, but now is that a metal? Is that a metal case? It looks like some yeah, metal. It's a metal case. It's got a built-in yeah. speaker on the top, and actually, it's got you know, get, it gets loud enough to hear it, you know, really well. The front panel is, I think, a milled uh, printed circuit board with a black silk screen on it, and I think the back panel is as well. Yeah, and and uh, what's the frequency range on it? Oh, it'll tune from broadcast AM up through the FM broadcast band, and there's a couple different bands. Like it won't be continuous, but it's continuous through uh, through the HF bands, and then uh, and then FM broadcast. So uh, okay. I have to check to see if there's any other band coverage in between there. Like if I adjust the bands here, I'm going through the HF bands. There's, uh, let's see, there's 10, 10 meters. It goes to 30 megahertz, and then it, then it above 30 megahertz, it jumps to the FM broadcast band. So, but a pretty cool little receiver. Um, uh, I haven't played with it enough to draw conclusions of whether I really recommend it or not. But uh, mm -hmm. but the fact that it's battery operated, it's got a built-in speaker and a a pretty decent display it's kind of a fun little receiver to play with so well that's uh that's cool i like it it looks like it's well built it's, it's really yeah see. it looks pretty good so so bill and uh alan you got both all you guys are co-hosts you can you can actually approve people as they come in all right yeah just uh we got looks like we got william in here and then uh looks like charlie carlos just joined and we've got the phone lines open. I got the phone number on the screen there if you'd like to call in. All right. Yeah, I like it. And I like the fact that it's in a nice uh, uh, case. Uh, that that makes it. Yeah, it doesn't have any feet on it. I'm going to put mm -hmm. a couple of rubber feet on it. Yeah. But it's, it's a pretty nice case, you know, it, uh, and it's easy enough to open up if you want to get in there. But I said it is an open source design. So there are people that have done different versions of firmware for it, and there's a uh, there is a USB port, you know, on the back there to uh, kind of see that there it is. Uh, so if you if you and it, I think you could just use your normal Arduino you know IDE uh, mm -hmm. to go and and program it because inside is a, an Arduino Nano that's plugged into the board to to control this uh, this single chip receiver. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think, you know, the software is, or the, you know, the sketch is available. You can go and modify and play with it if you want, but, uh, it's, uh, but pretty cool. It's, uh, kind of fun to play with. 
Yeah, now see, if you were here, and I would walk you into my junk room no. box here, and and I've got all kinds of rubber feet that would stick on there. Oh yeah, I got a couple. I got a bunch downstairs. Yeah. I just haven't grabbed them yet. Yeah, Bill. Hey, Alan, uh, Charlie here. Basically, what battery does you? Oh, it's got a a rechargeable lithium battery. It's kind of sitting underneath there. So, the, but the charge controller and everything is all built right on the board. So, uh, so it's a self-contained thing. It's like a little one of those little, you know, lithium batteries that's in like the little silver pouch. And how long does it last on a charge? Um, I've played with it for like a half an hour, hour at a time, and then the battery voltage. I mean, there's a, a battery percentage hasn't dropped down more than you know another ten or twenty percent. So you probably get a couple hours out of it. All and right, good we, volume. You get pretty good volume off. Yeah, let me. Uh, like I said, if I if I put this on, let me, let me go and turn this thing on here again. And uh, the only thing that I know I can receive with this tiny little antenna is the FM broadcast band. So give me a second here when it finishes booting up here. Let's see. No. <clears throat> Find a station here. Yeah, but works good. That's so cool, man. Yeah. All right, hey, we got Carlos in here. Hey, Carlos, how you doing tonight? Well, fine. Do this. Uh, do you hear me? I hear you. Yes. Okay, fine. Yeah, the 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 Zoom thing here says Carlos, but call me Charlie, of course. Ah, okay, um, okay. You're yeah. in, uh, you're in uh, Uruguay. Yeah, sure. In your way. Oh, okay. Uh, you, I have my, you know, the the icon here is all the the three dancing uh, little uh, filter here. It's uh well, Alan knows what this yeah. is. It's an RF yeah. filter of a NLPCV, uh, very high frequency one, yep. and it's like three little dancing uh, dolls or something. Everybody uh, thinks they are like dancing dolls or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I have the same uh, icon in in all my. Yeah, I, back on your Twitter feed there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So, so uh, you can you can always. Well, it's easy to to identify me. Yeah. And anyhow, I just received one of. I just bought one of those and received it today, Alan. Uh, I just bought the PCB only. Okay. Uh, but without the case. Uh, because I, I had uh, just a, a, I couldn't get, uh, because we have some limitations with the amount of, uh, uh, for the imports duty, okay. we have some $200 limitations, so I had some money left to put into the package, and I bought one of those. Okay. But I'm amazed, we ha how does it perform? I'm guessing that you're going to make a video on it, right? That was the intent. I was going to get it and do a video on it, but I might do it. There's a there's one or two firmware updates on it because the original version that's in there is that 1.1.5. Uh, I think it's the, the the hand that that wrote that is let's see I got it written down here P P U two C L R. But there's a couple of bugs in it. Um, like if you switch off the the AGC, it doesn't go back on again, and you can switch through an attenuator value, and it's a little screwy the way that works, but that's been corrected in some later versions of firmware. And then also the frequency readout uh, on the later versions been, has been made larger. So I might update to one of those before I go ahead and do a video on it. But uh, but I think it's I think it's going to receive as well as, uh, you know, this little county com, you know, that I've done some videos on in the past. 
but uh, you can see from a size standpoint, it's you know, you know it's, it's really you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Pretty, you know, I mean, really it's pretty amazing. So it's it's amazing. I I was uh, wondering, I was um, wanted to use it like a. I have one of those Sony uh, 7600 uh, receivers, yeah. um, and the, it's it's really bad. I mean, it's not bad performing, but it's uh, it has lots of issues, like the uh, it's it it's uh, unstable and had lots of problems. I never could get really good performance out of it. So okay. I've got tired of, <laughs> of that stuff and decided to buy something cheap to go around with. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I wasn't uh, uh, very sure about its, its performance, but I will test it and, and I'll hope it, uh, I, I can see it will, it will work uh, really well. Yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, the big thing is, you know, especially being, you know, without any real RF front end or anything like that, I, I tend to wonder how easy it's going to get overloaded, you know, by strong stations, either in band or adjacent bands or something like that. But uh, so, Alan, if you put that, if you put that on uh, 40 meters uh, up in the voice sideband or 20 meters, could you actually, yeah. would it be good enough to make a contact with? Well, it's, it's only a receiver, uh, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll to take a look to see. I, I have set it up over on my bench on that, that switch position where I can actually hook up to my antenna. And I did some initial comparisons and in listening to you know, like a CW station on 40 meters and then switching over to this radio. And it's not as sensitive as one of the HF rigs that I have. But if I had a signal that was you know S8 or S9 on the HF rig, it was easily receivable on this. If I had a signal that was sitting around S5, it, it really is kind of in the noise floor for this radio. Mm -hmm. So um, so there isn't a whole lot of gain in the front end. But uh, for strong signals, it should work well. And for even for uh, you know shortwave broadcast listening, as long as the shortwave stations are coming in strong enough and you got a decent enough antenna, it uh, should work pretty well. Hey, there's hey, Charlie. Uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> okay, nice, nice. Uh, there, I'm, I'm okay, right? Yes, I've yes. never turned on the camera. Oh, okay, uh, cool. It's good to see you. Yeah, <laughs> good to see there you. I am. Okay, fine. So, um, it's like the Baofeng. I was li uh, laughing today. At, uh, it was uh, Paul that was uh, uh, calling the Baofeng. He couldn't pronounce it, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, those are the only radios I have, the, the only ATs I have, because you can buy like five of those or ten of those before you can buy one of the real ones. <laughs> well, we'll put it this way. My, my new HT is this Kenwood THF6A that I've had for 15 years. That's my new HT. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the problem is I always thought, thought of buying a, 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 a nice one, but then I said I, I go out to the street and I lose it or, well, get stolen or whatever, and then I say, oh, come on, $500 in a radio that I can get for 20 bucks, you know? Right, right. So, yes. Yeah. So it's that balance you have to get to, to for the radio. Yes. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, I don't I don't use the HTs that much. I think I used it this weekend for we had a you know a talk a talk group frequency for uh, the folks working the ham fest. But that's the first I've used the HT in probably since last year. So, but yeah, the, the same happens to me. I use it very uh, seldomly. So so yeah, that that's the issue there. Yeah. So I don't know. 
but but I was also was remembering uh, about the the gain and, and the front end that some versions of the Baofengs, if you put an external antenna, they they'll block literally. Oh. So you it's like it's but it's strange because on the same model there are some that work and some that don't work. So you know it's like you, they're they're rubbish, really rubbish. But but they're really cheap so that's right you get what you pay for yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so that's it good good well it's good to see you charlie because okay like to see you, not just a bunch of uh, uh, uh dancing dolls yes <laughs> <laughs> well okay I'm, I'm i'm so glad to have charlie on here now you know charlie is in here every single night he, i think he makes more of the shows than even i make oh come on no. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Only Tuesdays and and yeah, yeah. Uh, it's quite uh, uh, it's uh, nearly midnight here. So yeah, but I always stayed late at night, and it's difficult for me to get out of bed. Early. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, uh, I I still have to do the dishes tonight. So. Okay. Oh boy. Well, well maybe we'll be too many up, of them. Get up early enough to walk the dog so I can get to work on time. So. Yeah. Hey, Charlie, do you know my friend Ignacio in uh, LU1ESY in Buenos Aires? Uh, uh, which station in Buenos Aires? I uh, didn't Lima get it. United 1 Echo Sierra Yankee. Uh, LU1. Echo Sierra Yankee. ESY. Yeah, he, he participated. I don't know him, but he always participated. Let me check because I have the logs here because I'm 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 managing the logs of the last uh, AM contest. We we organized at the club an AM contest. So let me check that. Uh, just one second. Uh, where is that? I think it's uh, AM. Let me see because. Mm. He participates. Uh, he always participates in the in the AM contest. So yes, it's a call sign that uh, it's always uh, around. Uh, but I don't know him personally. Maybe I have spoken to him, but uh, he's in the yeah. He's I don't in the see AMSAT. Uh, oh yes, AMSAT uh, Argentina. Yes, yes, right there, there from there. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. But uh, um, I don't know him personally. No. All right, we got, uh, let's see, who else joined us? Was it Charlie? No, let's see, who was it? Let me look we got it. Bill and Bill, oh, William and Bill. William, Bill William. And Bill. I have three Bills in here now. Yeah, let's take William. Hey, William, uh, how you doing, William? Hello, William. Oh, you just got to unmute yourself there, William. So, there you go. Right, we're still not hearing you, William. Still yeah, not still hearing muted. You. I don't know if you got audio or not. He's talking, but uh... there you go. There. I don't know which William it is. There, <laughs> there you go. go. Where, hey, you. where are you? Where are you, William? Where are you located? Oh, uh, I'm just a little bit uh, south of Columbus, Ohio. I'm I'm near Circleville, Ohio. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. I would say you're down in your basement. <laughs> uh, correct. Yeah, that's the only place where the lighting's good. Now that you've seen my face, uh, well, hey, that would make a great ham shack. That, that would make a great ham shack down here. We don't have basements where I live here. Nobody has basements, and uh, I think that would be really cool. 
Well, upstate, nobody has ham shacks in the basement either because of the uh, water table along oh, yeah. Lake Erie. But uh, I'm far enough south here that we can uh, get away with it and have a, a basement that's dry enough that I can that yeah. I can do it. And my wife insists on it as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my wife is actually very cooperative. She's well, I my virtual background there. That's my basement lab, and then. Uh, I, I've got the second one of the second floor bedrooms uh, here is my ham shack, and in the basement I've kind of got both my lab right there, and just adjacent to that is my wood shop, which I haven't used that much. But uh, but that's uh, so I, I've got the you know, he's, he's given me those two rooms of the house and the garage, and the rest of the house is hers. <laughs> I got it all down here: lab, lab shack, shop, everything. Nice. thing that doesn't have to do with really low repairs like cars and things like that right it's all done right down here, so very good i had a friend that had a basement ham shack and he actually ran his business there uh, anyways uh, my friend had a his business his electronic kit business in his basement and his ham shack down there and uh, uh he went up on a lake trip and when he came home uh, he noticed uh, all of his electronic parts were flowing out of the front door, and his basement had flooded completely to the top. Mm -hmm. Oh my! That didn't, Ohio. Happen, that didn't happen to be in Ohio, did it? Yes, it was uh, up in northern Ohio. I'm from uh, Findlay, Ohio, originally. I went to right. school at Ohio State. His name wasn't Bill, also, was it? By any chance? That's the one. Yes, he uh lives down the street from me. He. Uh, I grew up about a mile away from uh, that bill. Sure, um, uh, Kanga, yeah. Uh, Kanga, U.S. Uh, N-H-E-T. So yep. uh, I'm going to be up there again uh, in about a week, and I'm I'm planning to go by and and say hello to him. Well, say hi to him. I haven't seen him in a long time, and. I also, unfortunately, had a stroke about 10 years ago, but I dodged a bullet. So I remember when he was first well, sick, seeing him at the ham he fest. Is he, recovered. He, he, he has recovered beautifully from it, so he's doing pretty well now. Well, then that's two of us that dodged some bullets then. That's great. It's always good to hear. Yeah, here in the Northeast, I guess most of the houses have got uh, basements. So I grew up with one, and every house I've had has had one. So always kind of used to it. I don't know what I'd do without it with all the junk I got down there. I don't know oh. where I put it. <laughs> so. Man. Well, we could use them. We could use a basement down here with all the tornadoes we have, but uh, we just don't don't have them. Yeah, we had uh, an area not too far from us that uh, had got some flooding, and I. Had, my brother-in-law at the time uh, lived on one of those streets and uh, that got flooded and his basement filled right to basically the first floor. His first floor didn't get underwater, uh -huh. but it opened up the basement door and it was right at the water level. So everything in his basement got completely ruined. So once the water was out and then had the basement pumped out, we just had to pull everything out of the basement and start over. It can be a real mess. Yeah. yeah. So Tom, is the is the water table just high there where you live? I I think water table is pretty high. I mean, you know, well, I don't know if the Mississippi River has anything to do with it or not. We're I'm a good ways from the Mississippi, but I I, I think the water table's fairly high here. I don't I don't know. Uh, 
You know, uh, what's the elevation? What, do you know what your elevation is up there? Mine here, I, I think in feet, I think we're like 720, yeah. 740 feet above sea level. Yeah, the elevation here is like in the 300s. And uh, of course, well, across the river, it's, I mean, across the river, it's, uh, it's almost zero. I mean, it is low, but it's flat. I don't know mm -hmm. if that has anything to do with it or not, but uh, I don't know. It's just it's just not a common thing. There may be some very old homes around that may have had it, but I don't know of any. One thing I really like about it is that you can inspect things like pipes. You have a place for heating systems. You know, there's like a lot of room oh, for yeah. that kind of maintenance. And yeah. then also I can look around. Now, termites are a big problem around here. So yeah. I can do a very easily, you know, annual flashlight check all the way around the perimeter inside now. So, yeah, yeah. I always figured the uh, the basements we had here in the northeast is because everybody's lives on a small lot. I mean, my 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 building lot is you know seventy five feet by one hundred and fifty feet, and that's pretty typical little quarter acre lot and smaller. So. So in order to get, you know, we don't get big spread out houses. We get houses that go up stories and go down into the ground. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Around here, I live on a mountain, um, and the dirt's only about two feet deep, and then it's bedrock. And so it's almost impossible to make a basement. But my neighbor, neighbor did. I uh, had to blast it out with dynamite over the course oh. of about a month or so. And uh, he's got a great basement as a result. If there's ever a tornado, that's where I go. I run across the street. And he's a ham as well. WB4VHF is his call. But, but uh, no, I, I can't. Unless I get a bunch of dynamite, I'm not going to have a basement up here. Of course, the good news is, on top of the mountain, water flow here. So I never really have any flooding issues. Uh-huh. 500 feet above average terrain. So my antennas are only 10 feet tall, and I can work on them with a stepladder. But being on the edge of a cliff here, it's like having a 510-foot tall antenna tower. And uh, that's really nice being being up on the on a mountain like that. It's not really a mountain by California standards, but it sure is by Ohio standards. I'm surprised we haven't had any uh, phone calls tonight. We got the number up on the screen. If anybody wants to call in, we'll be on for about another eight minutes until we sign off. Uh, that will uh, at 10 p.m. Uh, Central Time is the end of our show as far as our short wave uh, uh, segment goes. We're uh, this show is uh, rebroadcast on uh, WBCQ on 7490 every Thursday afternoon. Uh, from 5 until 7 p.m. Eastern Time on 7490. So if you get a shortwave radio there, which most of you do, uh, tune to 7490 on Thursday afternoon, late afternoon, and uh, you'll hear this show. When's the next balloon go up, man? Well, well we just launched one from the Yoda event. Um, uh, four of them, and they went over to Columbus today. Um, <laughs> it landed near Bell Fountain. Here, we had here. one land near Bell Fountain at Youth on the Air, and they just recovered it from a soybean field uh, just about an hour ago. So um, it had uh, a, 
a voice speaking. They had a voice speaking on 70 centimeters on 446025 and CW and voice. And uh, from uh, just uh, Marysville, Ohio, if you know where that is, northwest yeah. of Columbus, it was 100,000 feet above Marysville. And I could copy the, uh, the UHF beacon down here in Huntsville, Alabama. So uh, wow. antenna height is everything. And Bell Fountain is, just, incidentally, it's the highest. Uh, it's the highest elevation. Highest. Yeah. Yep. The in Ohio. The we used to make some. Uh, am I muted? Yes. We used to make some. Um, uh, had some uh, uh, balloon launching at the club some years ago, and we did the latex one with a. The first one was a huge thing, and like it weighed like. I don't know, like two kilos, that uh, two, uh, like four or five pounds payload. It was incredible and really sophisticated, you know. But it had uh, th two of them had a, a a repeater, a voice repeater, which was incredible because the 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 experience of uh, uh, other hams from the region, like uh, not only Uruguay, but Argentina and some from Brazil, talking through the repeater on the on the balloon was incredible. That, that, that day was really, really cool, like because the repeater was made with a couple of bow feng, you know, yeah. hang one oh, yeah. to the other. And, but it was incredible to operate the repeater. Uh, really, really fun time. But then, you know, it has to coordinate everything and it, it, it's a lot. So if you don't have it like like uh, really uh, like control, having that control. Yeah, no, well, 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 exa exactly. That's well. Yeah. The, in the first one, it was really interesting because we didn't know anything about it. So we thought that the batteries would run out. So so what happened to the balloon we have uh, this um, uh, uh, fencing so that it doesn't go out from uruguay so that we don't invade uh, uh, Geo, yeah, other, other air spaces yeah. right so what happened with <laughs> well, i remember like it was yesterday because we filled it up with gas and with helium and we didn't feel it enough so so when we when we launched it it was like it, it didn't lift up no so one of the guys there ran and got it and came back and we filled it we didn't know how much well yeah. the first time we we have everything measured but there was lots of wind so we couldn't uh, we didn't have a good weight to 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 way to measure the the amount of gas we put into it so we put too too few too little gas so then we got it back and we filled it a lot there we didn't know how much we said okay it must be enough and we put it back together and in that procedure we the we we put a a zip tie in a place incorrectly and the the mechanism to to release the balloon uh, didn't work properly so what happened uh, the the balloon went towards the ocean so that wasn't a problem because then towards the ocean no problem but it stabilized at an, an altitude and it stayed there and fixed and it was like incredible because the balloon 
uh, it lasted like for like eight hours and it ah. lasted operating for mm -hmm. eight hours so it was incredible like a balloon that a typical launch of that type of balloon uh, comes down in a couple of hours right it lasted for eight hours it was really yeah. good really good we did that for the Huntsville Hamfest. We sent one up, and it went east, and uh, it then came back over as four hours later at 103,000 feet, and was floating. Because if you yeah, you can floating, make it exactly. do that on purpose, uh, but you did it by accident. But by accident, completely <laughs> yeah, by accident. Uh, and it will stay up. All day and all night and part of the next day, and ours ended up in uh, Texas, which is 800 miles west of us is where it ended up. Okay. We've had crossband repeaters, you described, with people talking from four or 500 miles away from the balloon, through the balloon, and we've had people seven, 800 miles apart talking to each other using the balloon as a relay repeater. Uh, I had one that was launched here from Alabama and just a little walkie-talkie I could talk through the balloon to people in Columbus, Ohio. So it's just amazing the, the coverage that you can get from these things. It's, it's really, really it's really great. Yeah. I, I like it when, when you have the repeater, it's, I think it's the best. And it's the best experience with the rest of the hams, you know, because any ham with a, with a walkie-talkie and a small, you know, antenna handheld antenna can operate so you don't have to be into the ballooning business to really appreciate it but you can be any guy with antenna and work the repeater and that's really cool all right guys everybody right, just everybody have, have a everybody oh. st stand by just uh just a moment here uh, we got one minute to go on our shortwave broadcast so uh, hey if you've been out there listening to us tonight you've been listening to amateur radio roundtable a show about ham radio and we invite you back next week. If you're listening on shortwave, you're hearing the show on Thursday afternoon. But you can also tune in and watch the show on youtube.com slash W5KUB uh, every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, for our international people, that's 0100 UTC on Wednesday if you want to join us there. Send us a postcard or a letter. I don't know if they even make postcards anymore. Send us a letter. No, send us an email. Yeah, send us an email. Boy, I'm old, old time. Send us an email to Tom at W5KUB.com and tell us where you are and if you're hearing the station. And uh, send me three. Good night to everybody listening out there on shortwave. All right. Well, guys, we can continue here on uh, on Zoom, and uh, we'll just leave the broadcast on for a few more minutes. My wife is uh, uh, about. Uh, I'm just. Tra I'm, I'm tracking my wife right now, and on on here, I know right where she is. She's about. Uh, she's maybe uh, ten minutes away. She just drove 550 miles, so she's been driving for about the last ten hours, and she's almost home. Alrighty. I think I'm going to check out, gentlemen. I'm going to walk the dog and then uh, yep. head to bed. So uh, good to see everybody. Good show tonight. And, uh, Fine. Great. Nice guys join here in Zoom. Bill, Bill, Bill. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill. 
Okay, I'm leaving. Yeah. Good night okay. to everybody. Good night to Great all the girls eh? and everybody. Yeah, Thank good night to everybody Charlie. out here. Everybody. So, One thing. Charlie? Yeah. Charlie? Yes, uh, yes. We did a simplex repeater. A simplex. Hello? Let's see if it's working. Can you hear me now? Yes, perfectly. Anyway, we did a simplex reported voice chip recorder on one single bifang and uh, on one frequency on two meters and you transmit up to it for 20 seconds and then it repeats back what it heard for 20 seconds it's a very easy way of making a repeater that doesn't require two radios and uh, it gets a little you have to get used to it uh, since you have to talk wait 20 seconds and listen to what came back but people got used to it and we had some great conversations that way